I don't even know. Are these black swans? Have you ever had one of those days? The, the vendors are trying to find the problem space as the problem they can solve. That's why I need to be an executive, because I only kind of know what I'm talking about. So I'm constantly going, no, no, stop that, put that down, don't touch that, take that out of your mouth. All right, for real this time. With yeah. feeling. With feeling. Once more with feeling. Today is Wednesday, October 15th. 2014 and this is episode 88 of the defensive security podcast my name is jerry bell and joining me tonight as usual is mr andrew kellett good evening jerry how are you sir i am just wonderful how are you i'm doing pretty good i'm uh i don't have ebola so that's a positive that's true well you're not in texas although they uh, apparently number two is coming we're importing them. We're to, importing them to Atlanta. So, oh well, yeah. But we're How's pretty that? good at curing them, so that's good. How is uh, Lacey the on-demand open air gap dog? Uh, her training is going very well. We expect that we only need a few more rounds of venture capital before Ooh. she will be ready to go. Excellent. I look forward to the product launch. And, and by the way, we actually see. I had a I had a thought that was much bigger than just Lacey. So, you know, like, uh, um, uh, you know, these, these, uh, new social services like, uh, Lyft and, you know, uh, uh, eat at and, and those things, right. See, I'm thinking like, um, cutter or, or biter where you can essentially hire other people's dogs around the world to go cut your cables on demand. That's that's phenomenal. See, that's the kind of value you can only get right here. Speaking of Out, that, outsourced, internationally available on-demand air gap. That's right, as a service. Organic. To- completely organic. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, uh, one thing I did want to point out, or, or actually do, since I haven't done this in a while, is uh, we've gained quite a few new listeners lately and i just wanted to say thank you for listening and welcome to the the podcast absolutely and also i would like to uh uh, ask if you like the podcast give us uh you know give us some some uh, reviews on itunes it's uh, very very much welcomed and appreciated so and thank you to those who have so having said that Let's get into our stories. And Before we do. Oh, go ahead. Just our common disclaimer. All of the opinions on this podcast are those of Jerry and myself. Do not in any way reflect the opinions of our employers, past, present, or future. However, if you like our opinions and you want to be our future employer, we're open to negotiation. Totally. Thank you for that. Have you heard from Bob lately, by the way? We haven't heard about Bob in a while. Uh, Bob is having a heck of a time with uh, Shellshock and uh, Poodle now, so uh, he's been very busy. Mm. His Poodle got Shellshocked? Something like that. Mm. Anyhow, uh, speaking of Poodle, uh, that's our first story for this evening. Uh, I think probably most people are 
relatively aware of it by now, but uh, just kind of recapping the situation here. Poodle is a padding Oracle attack against SSL version 3. And by the way, SSL v3 is very old. Um, it's actually older than my oldest son, <laughs> which is uh, kind of old. So uh, the deal here is that as with most padding Oracle attacks, you know, when you when you look at under the covers at how encryption works, uh, messages are broken up into segments, and at the end of the message, there's usually some open bit or open bytes that you need to account for, and those are called pads. And if they're not dealt with properly, uh, you can you can end up with a situation where uh, an attacker who you know is sophisticated enough can actually leverage that to uh, to, to decrypt encrypted data. And so what's new here, since, again, SSLv3 is very old, it's long ago been replaced by TLS, uh, is that someone in the network, so let's say uh, operating a rogue Wi-Fi access point or a piece of uh, network gear, can force both sides of a network connection to downgrade from TLS to SSLv3. And once they do that, they they have an opportunity to decrypt your traffic. And in practice, probably the most valuable thing they're going to get are session keys or session tokens, maybe a password, but probably not. And those uh, those tokens could then in turn be used to uh, to log in as you on Facebook or Twitter or Amazon or you know whatever. Probably not your bank. And uh, and so, from that perspective, it you know it is uh, certainly not a great thing, but I would say it's not the most uh, significant vulnerability I've seen walk down the street lately. Yeah. So the web server's got to support SSL three, right? Which is pretty ancient. Yep. Most of them probably, hopefully, have this turned off. If not, that's an easy fix. Uh, some really ancient web browsers like IE6 on XP can only support up to SSL3. Uh, so I'm having trouble having some sympathy for those guys, though. Yeah, you know, the one thing that, that is a little unclear to me, and, and I guess it's a, it's a bit of an unknown, is I, I think the web browser aspect is kind of dull, right? Before the reasons you just mentioned. But what I'm not at all clear about or comfortable with is what the situation looks like when you start talking about, let's say, VPN traffic, or uh, or other services like, let's say, uh, you know, Pop over Pop three over SSL or IMAP over SSL. Which, by the way, again, you know, it's the kinds of traffic that you're kinds of. Uh, business traffic that you're going to see being tunneled in the clear, uh, so to speak, uh, is is probably not going to be enterprise traffic, right? There's, those are probably going to be, you know, personal types of accounts. So, uh, you know. I was also thinking about embedded devices that may have some SSL capability, might be stuck at version 3. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely true. And, you know, that that's a good point because the... Uh, 
the the mitigation here probably for most everything is not going to be a patch. It's really a configuration change. I mean, you literally just go in and you tell uh, SSL the SSL stack that you don't want it to use SSL v3. And there's lots of, uh, of very well-documented instructions on how to do that, which, by the way, have been around for a long, long time. It's not, it's not a, this is not a new problem, right? I mean, it's, or obviously, Poodle is a new problem, but uh, there's been a lot of hate on SSL v3 and, and, and back for a while. So, so this is a you know, pretty well, well-worn path. Uh, but... The issue, I think, comes in on those embedded devices where they're kind of like black boxes, where you not, you don't necessarily have the ability to get in there and monkey with the SSL stack. And I even go further and say a lot of times, you know, those embedded devices are kind of abandoned in place. You know, they're never going to get an update from their manufacturer. So it's conceivable that people turn off SSL v3 and random gear starts breaking its communication channel. Yeah, I think most likely I suspect what's going to happen is you'll disable SSL v3 on your browsers, which is, you know, I I think everybody and their dog are pushing out GPOs to disable uh, uh, SSL v3 on their Windows workstation fleet. And, you know, somebody will try to go and access their Cisco router. And by the way, I don't have any insight of whether or not this is a problem for Cisco or not. But, um, you know, they'll try to access the management interface on their Cisco device or Netgear device or whatever, and it won't work. They'll get a, you know, a negotiation failed problem. Yeah, it's also not an easily exploitable attack. I mean, relatively speaking, right? This is a man-in-the-middle client-side attack for the most part. So... I'm thinking this most likely would be exhibited if you're hanging out on an open Wi-Fi in a public place, perhaps. Yeah, I think that is really where I see this uh, playing out. You know, the, the Wi-Fi types, uh, public places, so coffee shops, airports, hotels, you know, people uh, pulling out their Wi-Fi pineapples and causing trouble for people. Uh, the other thing I think in probably more, more succinctly a, a problem is going to be intelligence agencies. I would imagine are, are really going to benefit from this stupid thing for a while. True enough. So clearly not on the level of shell shock or heartbleed, but do you think people are freaking out? Um, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'll tell you, Bob's employer is totally screwed into the ceiling right now, and uh, and, and really have Bob working pretty hard on on uh, getting this thing under quote under control. So yes, I think uh, I think some organizations are are very very concerned. And you know, one thing I will say, just a, a bit of commentary, I really think that part of this freakout mentality is is coming from the infosec industry itself right because companies and in this case it was google i guess it was uh, google and and another company for for uh, heartbleed they're incented they're incentivized to try to you know use this as as kind of pr leverage hey look at what we did 
and and so you know they're they certainly have every uh, every every benefit to them to kind of go out of the gate and say oh look at this really critical thing we found and you know we're, I I, th- I really think um, that's a big part of the problem now how do you, you know I'm not necessarily proposing we do anything different but I'm just complaining I guess. Well, I think you're touching on a point that I was thinking about, which is that if people are freaking out on this one, I think we're doing a bad job of risk analysis as an industry then. So I think a couple things. I think we're doing a bad job at risk analysis in terms of how critical this particular issue is compared to others and therefore having an appropriate measured response to the level of criticality and the level of risk this introduces. Uh, I think at the same time, you do have that vendor impetus to push this. And I'm sure that there are plenty of marketing organizations right now spinning up uh, their new slideware to say they've protected against Poodle since 1734 or, you know, whenever. Totally. Absolutely. Uh, And you're right. A lot of these organizations with these researchers get street cred and kind of justify their budget spend on these researchers by how much press they get, how wide they reached, how many social media touches, how many impressions their research get out in the world. And it is the holy grail to get on mainstream media with these sorts of things. So absolutely. I do think that we as InfoSec professionals have to be a bit more pragmatic and measured in our response though, because we can't freak out every time something happens. And we need to be able to measure regardless of the rest of the industry and the FUD it's spreading how risky and how critical certain vulnerabilities are. And this has been going on for a long time. This is nothing new, right? This is why we have CVSS scores and all these other measurements, right? But at the same time, you still have to measure it against your individual organization and your individual uh, you know, risk uh, tolerance. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely true. And I'll, you know, I'll tell you, I, I did talk with Bob quite extensively about about Shellshock and, you know, his organization, you know, basically were, were blaring the air raid sirens, you know, when, when Shellshock hit and, you know, basically battening down the hatches, expecting dogs and cats and fire, you know, living together and fire and brimstone and, and, you know, really the end times because it was apparently such a critical thing. And I, uh, you know, on on Bob's behalf, I actually went and, and tried to find any public disclosure of any kind of breach in any way that was tied to Shellshock, and and apparently there isn't any. You know, there was the Yahoo thing, which turned out, you know, maybe is, maybe not, probably not related to uh, to Shellshock, and you know, it wasn't the end times. You know, and, and part of the problem, and by the way, one thing I do want to point out is I am not in any way, shape, or form criticizing the researchers finding this stuff, right? I think, you know, I, I think it's it's good that people are out there looking for this stuff and finding it. And it's very, it's very tenuous problem on, on disclosing these things. So I'm not, you know, I'm not laying blame at, I'm just, 
you know. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it, research is always helpful. I'm not in any way some of the researchers. I just think that we need to respond to it in a more measured fashion. Absolutely, and we need a better way to understand and expect what is what's going to happen in the the aftermath. And um, you know, one of the I'm just kind of going back to Shellshock for a second. Again, there there has not been any public notices of of breaches related to it now you know maybe six months down the line we'll find out that there was something but you know there have been a whole bunch of security vendors who have released reports about botnets and and malware and and whatnot that are using shellshock and you know bob was bob was explaining to me that you know he had to he had to convey to some of his co-workers that um you know that the issue with those reports are that they're this information coming from honeypots, right? These, these things are intentionally set up to be infected. You know, they're, 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 they're purposely vulnerable. And so of course you're going to, you know, they're going to see it and they're going to write about it. So, you know, it's not that these companies went in and did some forensics and found this botnet. Nope. They set up a honeypot. They watched it. And they caught a, you know, they caught somebody trying, you know, trying to drop malware on it, which is, you know, not, not surprising at all. It's probably another researcher seeing what was susceptible. So it's research on research violence. (laughs) Totally. That that never happens. And that certainly didn't happen last (laughs) week with digital bond, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, all right, let's move on. So speaking of inappropriate freakouts. I'll just throw this out there. I'm curious how many companies are probably currently reviewing and updating their pandemic response plans. Oh, that's a good point. And uh, which I think is a valid discussion, right? Uh, that a company should probably be having if they're of any size. When do you trigger a pandemic response? When do you execute that? And do you have a plan? Uh, I'm not saying we're there with Ebola, but. Uh, it seems like a reasonable thing to prompt the discussion. Well, I mean, the the trend line certainly is concerning. You know, it's it's it'll be interesting to see. You know, in in uh, the non-African countries, if it continues, uh, you know, it's in just in small pockets, or if we start to see something something bigger. You know, I think. Most of the experts I've I've listened to agree that uh, there will be, at least in the U.S., there will be isolated outbreaks, and and over time we will figure out how better to contain those uh, pretty quickly. Whereas they have a very different level of problem in in a lot of these African countries that's allowing this to perpetuate. Uh, you know, I'm not passing judgment i'm just saying that's you know that's apparently the uh, some relatively unique problems that don't exist in other parts of the world uh, however you know africa is an up and coming place and, you know and uh uh you know one of the i guess one of the things bob com- bob's uh, employer does is you know they they have a big footprint in africa and so it's not it's not unheard of that U.S. companies or or uh, you know other Western companies would would be impacted even if it stayed contained in Africa. So, yeah, fair enough. So it'll be interesting, you know. Uh, not not to take a lot of time on the show about it, but 
Uh, it's something we don't talk about much is pandemic response plans and maybe something that folks should uh, at least think about a little bit. Absolutely. All right. So moving on, our next story comes from CNBC and the title is No Indication of Russia's Involvement in the JPM Hack. And that comes from an unnamed source. Uh, so, yeah, the I think the byline here is attribution is hard. Yes. And uh, everything else, the, the rest of the world is uh, you know, as it normally is. So, not... I don't think there's really any uh, anything significant here other than we, I think we talked about it last week, uh, that J.P. Morgan, you know, there was some, some disclosure about the J.P. Morgan hack being attributed to Russia, and well, now apparently it's not. Uh, although this, one thing this report did actually call out, which uh, was new to me, they broke down the number of um, of banks versus households that were impacted. Yeah, there were, uh, I think it said there were 70, I want to say there were 76 million households, and I think there are 113 million households total in the U.S., something like that. So well over half, which is quite impressive. Indeed. You know, there's a follow-up to that, which I thought was interesting, which is uh, Jamie Dimon, who is, um, I believe, the CEO for J.P. Morgan basically came out and say that there is no absolute defense against cyber attacks, which I think is an important thing for an executive to say. Uh, Especially when it's China. (laughs) Exactly. Or Russia. Or or Russia. Um, You know, his quote was, quote, we do think that unfortunately there are going to be some wins and losses in this. He's referring to cybersecurity. Uh, We don't want to be sitting here saying you will absolutely be protected because it put you in a false sense of security. So I am actually kind of happy and sort of comforted and encouraged that executives at a senior level are starting to understand this is not a zero-sum game and that there is no absolutes. I think that's important for those folks at that level to get. And when you have somebody of such a major corporation come out and say something like that, I think that's helpful uh, when we're communicating this to our own executive teams. Hey, you know, Jamie Dimon just said this on CNBC you know, this is kind of what we've been saying, and this is something to think about. So, um, yeah, and he's a very influential CEO, and in, I mean, not not just in the finance space, but you know, mm-hmm. in all of business. So that that you're right, I agree with you. That is a, a not a sea change, but it's a very important change in attitude, which is good, I think. Yeah, not that it's a no win scenario, but it is a a much tougher scenario than just throw security at it and it's better. Right. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to see that. Good deal. All right. So moving on, our next story is really a, an interesting kind of parable, I guess. And I think we talked a l- little bit about this a couple of months ago, or maybe a couple of weeks ago. I don't remember exactly. And this is uh, This is from the NSS Labs blog. And the title is All's Well That Ends Well. And the... I guess the summary is that there was a spat between Palo Alto and NSS. And, you know, basically Palo Alto uh, and, and you know, kind of their business model is they'll decide they want to go test uh, next generation firewalls. And so they'll no, go. You mean, you mean NSS's business I'm model. sorry. NSS's, you're right. NSS's business models. They'll go 
gather up a bunch of. Uh, uh, is, it must be the drink, by the way. I'm going to blame it on that. <laughs> well, yeah, that they, they are kind of like a gardener. Yes. They'll go test all sorts of security gear, and they have had some challenges in this space and working with vendors. Uh, FireEye, very famously, about a year ago, refused to participate in an NSS Labs test and had some very negative things to say about NSS. Uh, some other vendors have also had some negative things to say and uh, have alleged uh, pay-for-play and some other sort of nasty allegations where NSS has said, nope, we are very rigorous in our testing, we are very objective in our testing, we're neutral, and you know this is our testing criteria and this is how we do things. Uh, so this has been kind of an ongoing consternation by the industry. Nobody wants to have a bad test. And uh, recently they did one around next-gen firewalls. And Palo Alto came out with an incredibly poor score yep. to, to the point where uh, basically NSS said, we do not recommend you purchase Palo Alto. There is something wrong. Something changed in the past rev or two in their code that has caused Palo Alto firewalls to not be able to handle certain evasion techniques very well. So I won't get into too much, but it had to do with split handshakes and TCP segmentation and IP fragmentation and some other evasion problems. Uh, NSS was alleging that uh, the Palo Alto firewalls were not doing reassembly properly and as a result were missing attacks. So the interesting thing here is that initially Palo Alto came out and said, hmm, nothing. But a whole bunch of people in the industry went, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Palo Alto is incredibly well-known and respected. It's considered one of the stronger security firewalls out there. Something doesn't smell right here. And I actually had the same reaction when this first came up. It was circulating around my office, and and uh, some of the sales guys were asking about this because their customers were asking about this. And I just went, whoa, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And there were some murmurs out of Palo Alto, nothing official. Uh, and a lot of us thought initially that NSS screwed up. Or, you know, this was a case where NSS didn't get the love they wanted from Palo Alto, and so they're going to slam the product. But turns out I was wrong that there really was a bug introduced in Palo Alto. And in essence, the Palo Alto guys uh, took this information, went back to their labs, worked with NSS labs, and were able to reproduce the problem that NSS had experienced uh, and issued a patch, basically, and worked with NSS labs to confirm that that patch fixed the problems that NSS uh, saw. And so NSS came out with a, you know, after these kind of back and forth spats on blogs and defending each other and or defending themselves from each other, uh, NSS came out and said, well, you know, Palo Alto took the problem seriously and they worked together, fixed the problem and uh, rolled out a patch and all is well. So it was interesting. And, you know, the takeaway I got from this, not to completely hijack the story from you, is here we have a primary defensive frontline device that through, I'm sure, no fault, or I should say no malice, of Palo Alto, had a major vulnerability, or I should say at least a degradation of defense introduced through a patch. And nobody caught it, 
until a third party did some testing. Yep. And, you know, we often preach patch, 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 especially key devices. But here is one where a patch introduced a degradation, a serious degradation in security. And I'm not throwing Palo Alto under the bus here because this is hard stuff to do right. But it now makes me wonder how often does this happen? And how often are we not knowing about this happening? And did NSS just get lucky in their test criteria to pick up one that happened that was pretty pretty egregious? And to me, that tells me, all right, once again, we cannot rely on any single control. It can fail in a very, very quiet, unexpected way like this. And we need to have multiple layers and plan for unforeseen weakness. Yep. Yep, that's right. Now, I will tell you, one thing that's not very clear to me, I haven't followed this story incredibly closely, is whether or not this became public as a result of Palo Alto kind of not wanting to play ball. Because I do recall in previous lives that uh, NSS often you know, invites you out there and, and gives you a chance to uh, correct any findings. And so I, I'm just wondering if this happens a lot more often than we're privy to in the context of an NSS lab test, but it was really because of this little spat that they had going on that it kind of became public. And, you know, I, I, I suspect, I mean, you're, I think you're right on. Uh, this stuff is pretty complicated and there is a tremendous opportunity for these vendors to make little bugs as they're updating their code that creates some unforeseen consequence that is potentially really difficult to test to test for. And, and uh, uh, you know, and then unfortunately you're kind of left with your, your pants down. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm not sure. There was some pretty interesting blog posts on both sides. So if you actually go to the link in our show notes and then you um, kind of hit the the tag for Palo Alto on NSS's feed, you'll see their previous blog post, which is just titled Seriously. And you can see the sniping back and forth from the Palo Alto blog post that originally came up refuting the NSS test their responses, and they get into sort of their methodology a bit. Um, and they like to say that they're very independent. They, you know, want to take default configs. They don't want too much tuning, uh, but that the the vendor is invited to help them set it up properly, but with default configs. Mm-hmm. So, not sure, but... It was an interesting little sniping back and forth, and and I'm not as interested in the drama back and forth as I am the fact that that the technology was degraded by an by a patch accidentally. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, but you know, as a as sort of an adjacent point, I am skeptical of NSF Labs and Gartner and everybody else out there. Because not not for anything specifically they did, but just having been in the industry a long enough time, it's really tough to truly be objective. And it's really tough to truly test these things. But there is a demand out there, and customers do care about what these reports say. Oh, absolutely. You know, for good or ill. But 
I would just tell people to take this stuff with a grain of salt. I've been involved with some of these myself and I was working for vendors. And I will tell you that it's really difficult for these lab guys to have the breadth of knowledge, capability, and experience to properly set up everything they're touching in the appropriate manner with every bell and whistle and knob and, and, and tweak that can be done on these uh, devices. Yeah, and you also have to evaluate whether the identified weaknesses are things you care about too. Yeah, that's a great point, right? They're taking a one-size-fits-all approach for, you know, if I pick on Garner for a minute, stuff in the Magic Quadrant, you know, there's a reason all those other vendors still exist and are able to sell. Uh, not every vendor has every use case in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think we beat that one to the ground. So let's move on. <laughs> Our next story comes from CSO Online, and the title is An Inside Look at Russian Cyber Criminals. So I thought this is kind of an interesting story, and it describes something that I have suspected is going on for a while uh, in terms of selling access to victims' PCs. So I'll get to that in a second. The deal here is that a company called Proofpoint, who is, again, a vendor, right, blah, 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 uh, wrote a report about this campaign, this malware exploit campaign, uh, where some attackers... Uh, I don't know that they necessarily name where they're from. That's irrelevant to me, to be honest. Uh, it basically bought access to compromised WordPress sites and then uploaded web shells to these WordPress sites and uh, basically you installed exploit kits or, or at least redirections to exploit kits, uh, which... I would say are a little more advanced than your run-of-the-mill exploit kit in that it, it they would check to see if your PC, if a visitor's PC was in fact exploitable. Uh, they would continuously monitor antivirus engines to see if their payloads were going to be detected and if it, they crossed a certain threshold, they would actually move on to different uh, different threshold, or sorry, different pay, payload uh once you you know if you were one of the unwitting victims of one of this you, one of these uh sites you would get the qbot credential stealer you know which is pretty again pretty run of the mill but here's where it gets really interesting to me it also installs another piece of malware called socks fabric and socks fabric is essentially think about like you know go to my pc for bad guys uh, the idea here is that these criminals are building up a farm of infected systems on, you know, kind of all over the place, and they have a they have the ability to to kind of rent out access. So uh, you know, you want, let's say, you want uh, you're a bad guy and you want to get into, I don't know, Ford Motors network. Well, you know what, I gotta. I got a compromised system on Ford Motors Network. And by the way, I don't really, just an example. And uh, this is, this is I, I think, one of the next iterations in the evolution of the, of the criminal marketplace, you know, where we're really starting to see this 
you know, this industry mature and, you know, maybe we'll start seeing, uh, you know, futures, futures contracts on, on, uh, exploited PCs coming out next. But, you know, I think this is to me another example, yet one more example of why it's really important to, to pay attention to your fleet of workstations. You know, it is, yeah, it's just a PC. Yeah. You know, they get compromised all the time. But the things that they're being compromised with are becoming more and more complicated and have the ability to do more and more damaging things. So that was my takeaway from the story. Yeah, I I don't have much more to add that you didn't cover. It's it's constantly going to evolve, and these guys are going to get more sophisticated and more mature in their organizations, always. Uh, there's plenty of money to be made. Yeah, and that's what it's all about, right? You know, they're they're not necessarily the, the the people who are dropping this onto your network or onto your systems are not necessarily the ones that are going to end up uh, robbing you blind, right? But they're going to sell that access. They're going to sell it to somebody else who may, you know, who may be a much more advanced adversary or or what have you that that is, you know, much more targeted or interested in your particular company or your industry. And one of the one of the references, and they kind of danced around it a little bit, but you know, basically saying that there's a marketplace which allows prospective buyers to shop for access to computers based on, you know, their, uh, you know, their IP address and their uh, the, the organizations they belong to. So. Yeah, why bother? If I need to get into, you know, they use Boeing as an example in the story. If I need to get in Boeing, why break it myself? And I can go out to these botnets and just say, hey, anybody you've got anything in this slash 16? Bingo. Absolutely. And, oh, hey, look, there's one. Great. I'll, you know. Now I'm in and now I can focus on more important things. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, next story we have is from Mr. Brian Krebs in the st- Title is signed malware equals expensive oops for HP. Yet another case of a workstation compromise apparently gone awry, although I'm calling this one kind of stinky. There's something stinky with the story. Anyway, the the, the deal here is that uh, HP announced that they are revoking a signing certificate on October 21st of this year uh, that signing certificate was used to sign a number of, uh, I guess a pretty extensive number of older products. Uh, The reason is that Symantec notified them that recently, I suppose, that they found a four-year-old piece of malware that was actually signed by this cert, which is interesting. HP claims that this happened when a developer's workstation was infected with a piece of malware that then renamed itself to something that, that uh, I guess made sense in the context of whatever was being developed. And it ended up being signed along with other code this person was working with. And the malware allegedly had a way to exfiltrate itself uh, but apparently all that was just coincidental to it being signed. I say it stinks, and there's things we don't know. Interesting. I'll be honest. I thought it was a plausible explanation when I read it, but I uh, I 
occasionally respect your opinion, so I will uh, I will uh, consider your perspective. And I've considered it, and I don't agree. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> now, I, for one, am always skeptical of official explanations, but I've just worked with a lot of developers, and this sounds like something that absolutely could happen in the real world. But how does it? But how does it get out? I can ab- I can definitely agree with you that uh, absolutely a developer's workstations probably get compromised or infected all the time because what's the first thing a developer does who's compiling crap? They turn off AV. Not that AV is all that effective anyway, right? But you know that's the first thing they do is they turn off AV because hey, you know AV adds an extra thirty five seconds to my compile time and. Can't have that, right? So and they're experts. Yeah, they that's don't true. need AV. That's true. So, uh, so, so, yeah, I can absolutely understand that. Don't I? That's the that's not the part I disagree with. The part I, the part that just baffles me is the sequence of events that would have to line up with a piece of malware putting itself into a location where it would end up being signed, and then how does that piece of malware? A, get exfiltrated outside of the company in a signed state, and B, I could okay, I can kind of see. Fine, that could happen. Agree, that could that could certainly happen. If it were gonna, if it were bundled and and uh, shipped with some kind of product, but they say that that never happened. Hmm. So I call, I throw, I'm throwing out the BS flag, saying. There's something not right here. I don't know what it is. It doesn't make sense to me. So, BS flag noted. And you know the problem is we'll probably never hear further. But nope. But but again, you, again, here's the de- you know here's the deal where HP is. You know I got Brian Krebs writing about him for Christ's sake, and you know. Symantec talent is calling them up saying, hey, you know, we're, we're seeing malware in our customer environments that's signed by one of your signing certificates. And guess why it happened? Because some developer got their workstation infected. That's why. So, I, I you know, I really, really think that many enterprises completely underestimate the importance of workstation hygiene and workstation integrity. Yeah, especially for high-sensitive employees like this. And we've worked in these environments. Mm-hmm. You know, we, with all due respect to developers, they're some of the sloppiest and laziest when it comes to, to uh, IT security hygiene. Yeah, I mean, and by the way, IT people are often too. So Yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> and I'm not saying across the board, right? I, I'm, I can already feel the hate tweets being written. But I'm saying in general, there's an arrogance that comes with people who are deep in IT. Yeah. And they think yeah. it can't happen to them. Yeah, and, and, and that might have been true five years ago. True. That might have been true 10 years ago. I don't think it's true today. I think there's too much that is a non-interactive way to get exploited. I, I agree, and I think um, I think you know. And by the way, I see it in myself. I'm not. Uh, this isn't anything that I I don't necessarily uh, also fault myself for. But I think a lot of IT people see themselves as above it all, right? You know, we there's no way somebody could pass a phishing email by us. We we would right. we would totally 
see if any kind of phishing email, uh, you know, malicious link or um, tainted attachment or what have you. We'd see it a mile away. We'd never fall for that crap. By the way, tainted attachment is going to be my Bob Seger cover band. I I like it. That's awesome. Uh (laughs) Ah, see, where else can you get this kind of great stuff? (laughs) I got to get that trending now. Hashtag tainted attachment. So people, 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 workstation integrity. It's so important. It is. It is. Especially, you know, especially if you're a sensitive employee working with, you know, key stuff, right? And a lot of people think, well, it's the executives, it's this, but, you know, just a developer sitting in a cube can cause lots of pain these days if they're not careful. Not not intentionally, just... Right, right. You know, and and just to just to keep beating on this drum for a little bit, right? IT people in general often see security as a problem with the stupid users, and and you know when we act, you know we we talk about well, how are we going to educate those those users? How and anyhow, I beat it to death. I really think this is a problem that all of us have to worry about. I think. IT people in particular are especially vulnerable. You know, maybe they are less susceptible, maybe they're not, but the reality is they have higher access than most anybody else in the company or organization, and and therefore they're going to be more targeted, and if they do fall victim, a whole lot more bad stuff is going to happen as a result. So get on it. Yeah, what he said. (laughs) All right. Moving on, our next story also comes from Krebs, and the title is Dairy Queen Confirms Breach at 395 Stores, out of, by the way, over 4,500 stores, just to give you a little bit of context. Uh, Zero details on how this happened yet, uh, although there is an insinuation that it may have something to do with the vendor for the point of sales in use at these 395, which came from Panasonic Retail Information Systems. And that kind of fits, Krebs kind of alludes to this fitting the trend of other retail breaches like, uh, uh, trying to think of the other ones, Um, God darn it, Jimmy John's, Uh, you know, where, where some of the other payment systems, payment system vendors were ultimately the ones who ended up getting compromised and caused the the problem. So that was not Panasonic. That was Signature Systems in that case. Correct. And it was yeah. uh, there was another one. It was for the um, C and K systems. Right. For uh, the Goodwill, that was the one I was looking for. Mm. The upside is again free monitoring, free credit monitoring services. I now have eighteen free credit monitoring services active at the moment. Yeah, and <laughs> so. So I do, one thing I did want to bring up is, uh, this is normally a security show, right? But I am going to bestow upon you, the listener, a very important piece of investment advice, okay? Uh Go find companies that offer credit monitoring services. There is only one winner in this game right now that is being played between the retail companies and the hackers, and that is the credit monitoring companies. 
they, uh, you know, I haven't actually gone out and looked to see how they're performing, but, you know, it's funny, Krebs actually really drills into this. You know, he's very critical that credit monitoring does absolutely nothing <laughs> in this in this case. But it's like, hey, you know, we just lost all our data. We're really sorry. Have some credit monitoring to make you feel better. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, you get shot and somebody hands you a popsicle. Here, we're really sorry about that. Not that, not that uh, you know, getting your credit card stolen is the same as getting shot, but you get the point, right? So... I am holding out hope that there's going to be free blizzards offered by Dairy Queen to make up for this breach. Or at least a coupon. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, sadly, no real information to dig into. But the breach of retail sites continues. Yep. And our next story also comes from Krebs. We're on our Krebs roll here. Malware-based credit card breach at Kmart. Can I Yay! And by the way, there's credit monitoring involved. (laughs) Can I say first, I envision various hacker groups sitting around a table going, man, I popped Home Depot. Dude, I got Target. Yeah, man, I got Kmart. Crickets. (laughs) Crickets. Have a little pride. You got voted off the island. (laughs) Kmart? That's your claim to fame is Kmart? Was there a blue light special on malware? What? I, all right, I'll stop. Ouch! Ouch! Back to our story. Back, back to our story. So, uh, so they, you know, Kmart says that it was only track two data. They did not steal your pins or your names or things like that. So, so for those who don't know, what is track two data? Track two data is the uh, basically the card number, so the PAN, right? So uh you know they you know they didn't steal your ad name address, phone number, email address, all that all that stuff. It's just the card number. Um so you know hey there's that. Um but again, here's some credit monitoring. Uh there there isn't again not a whole lot of detail. They did say that there were there was sorry, there was malware on their registers which by the way Shockingly, I know our listeners are going to be totally knocked over by this this piece of uh, in very important forensic data uh, that the malware was not, in fact, detected by antivirus. Yeah. Quote, our systems were infected with a form of malware that was currently undetectable by our anti-malware systems. However, earlier in the story, they say, Quote, yesterday, our IT teams dedicated, sorry, detected that our Kmart payment data system had been breached, end quote. I want to know how they detected it. What Cause, was cause their they indi- looked? Well, yeah, <laughs> but I want to know what the indi- indicator of compromise was, is, right? So we could share that. Because that is the key thing we keep harping on, is don't rely on malware detection. Look for breach activity and breach detection indicators of compromise at a other level. So I would love for them to release how they detected this and what it was that caught their attention. So that, As opposed to typically it's a third party coming in and saying, oh, by the way, we saw your credit cards. You were the common point of use. You got popped. So so what's the first thing that the average help desk person does when somebody comes to them with a 
with with a a system they've been told is infected, what's the first thing they do? Run AV scans. Well, specifically, which one? Malware bites. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do I win? I I bet you that's what they did. I, I mean, I have no obviously. I have no visibility into whether or not they actually did that, but I bet I bet it was something like that. That so. could be. But that would be a far more interesting and useful story, right? You know, we detected it because of this behavior, and this is what got past our software, and it was X, Y, Z. So, yeah, you know, I, I had a I had a very interesting Twitter discussion with uh, Anoop Gosh, who is the CEO of Invincia. I was actually tromping around a field in the middle of nowhere. Isn't technology wonderful? I can I can have a debate with the CEO of a company while I'm out in the middle of freaking nowhere. Talking about this very thing, you know, that we we would benefit very greatly from finding out how did they get in? You know, what what did they do? Did, they, did What was the mechanism? Did they get in through, you know, through the HVAC contractor? You know, and, and understanding that kind of flow because that's what's going to help make us better. And, and in Absolutely. Fact, you know, that's what, that's why I started this stupid podcast. So we can understand and, and benefit from you know how how these things are actually happening out in the world uh, but it's unfortunately is you know as we've talked about time after time after time we don't often find out what actually happened so we have to uh you know we have to guess and i'm, I'm gonna guess it's malware bites i'll go with that <laughs> since we don't know um, you know, what we need actually is like an ability to put together a threat feed, maybe intelligence around threats that we could, uh, you know, that, that's would be brilliant. I don't know. I'm, now I'm just being snarky cause I'm tired and cranky today. <laughs> that would be brilliant. All right. Well, I think I'm going to cut it off. I had one more story, but we'll, uh, we'll save it for next time. And, uh, anything else you wanted to uh, close with? No, I think we covered it. Uh, I think, uh, no, I'm good. All right, very good. Thank you to everyone for listening again. It has uh, been a pleasure as always. Just a reminder, if you want to find the show notes and with links to all the things we talk about, you can go to the website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can find the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can find Mr. Callen on Twitter at Lurg, me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. If you have any thoughts, opinions, ideas, comments, criticisms, maybe not criticisms, send an email to info at DefensiveSecurity.org, and uh, we really do enjoy getting email and try to respond to everyone. With that, we will talk again next week, and have a good one. Take care, everybody. Good night. Bye. All right, here we go. Today is Monday, October 13th, 2014. Is it the 13th? No. Damn it, 15th. Oh, man, I see. I f***ed that up. (laughs) Podcasting professionals right here. See, that's why I got the goddamn edit thing. Nobody will ever hear it. (laughs) That that little clip should go in an opening right there. That's why I got the goddamn.
edit thing. Nobody ever hear it. <laughs> that should be in an opening. I could totally be a greeter. Yeah. I, Welcome absolutely. to Walmart. Or, you know what? I know plumbing and hardware and tools. I could totally be the guy at Home Depot that walks you around and and shows you where all the pipe fittings are. Badly, yes. Well, well, I'm sure you do a better job, but in general. In general, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'd do a better job than that, but I wouldn't be perfect by... No, but you would do a better job than they do, I'm sure. True. That's true. And and you could just give them random InfoSec advice. <laughs> so when's the last time you changed your password? Right. <laughs> do you know what a password manager is? I'm not interested in having this discussion any longer.